Well, good evening, everyone. Um, this is our evening service recording. Um, tonight, we're going to hopefully make it through that we're uh, closing out our study in Ephesians. Um, so continue to remember those of our number that are sick and are, are traveling. Uh, let's remember Brother Patrick, is he still sick? Um, of course, Sister Karen and Brother Dennis as they travel. Um, Sister Donna, let's remember... Uh, of course, continue to remember Joe and remember Brother Wayne as he's not well this evening. Um, <clears throat> continue to remember uh, Sister Shirley as she takes care of him, and of course, Tony, uh, Brother Tony, and Sister Tammy as well. Uh, so let's remember all of these tonight. Uh, we'll open with a word of prayer. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds as we study your word, Lord, that, that we would speak and hear the things which are uh, come from you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us again of our shortcomings and our failures before you, and we ask that you would help us to remember to encourage one another in your work as we see the day approaching. Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with those again that are traveling and those that are in need of uh, healing. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So this evening we'll be uh, closing out our study in the book of Ephesians. Um, we're down to around verse 10, so I'm pretty confident that we're going to uh, finish completing this, uh, this book. So here in uh, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Uh, put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers, against the world forces of his, of his darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor of God that you would be able to stand, uh, be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition uh, to all, taking up the shield of faith of which you have would be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit and the uh, which is the word of god with all prayer and petition prayer praying at all times in the spirit and with this in view be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness and the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I, proclaiming it, may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you may know that the circumstances and how I am doing, Titus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will take make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for uh, this very purpose, that you may know about us, and that you may be comforted your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So here in this particular uh, particular passage of Scripture, uh, Brother Paul, of course, is, is drawing to close uh, with this final admonition here. He goes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So, to be strong in the Lord... And the strength of his mind. How are we going to do that? 
We trust in the Lord. He says he goes on further there when he talks about putting on the full armor of God. He says that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That we will be able to effectively hold off the advance of of the evil one. Because of course we know that this isn't against uh as the scripture says there, flesh and blood. But it's against the Spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It's not the powers of this world, but the things that we we can't see, those spiritual forces we hear talk about. Uh, I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture in Job where it talks about Satan walking to and fro on the earth. Of course, he came to speak with the Lord. And he asked him what he was doing. Here and fro, here, here, to and fro on the earth. He came to, he still came to present himself to the Lord. It's the same thing here. Uh, Daniel uh, and the book of Daniel, same thing. Encourage you to take a look at that. Talks about the princes uh, that were standing, uh, standing against, of course, at the time of, of Babylon. And, of course, talks about uh, Michael and, of course, the, uh, the, um, those archangels that are mentioned. Spiritual warfare there. So it's something readily that we can see, but yet we can attest to that there's these, these d- difficulties. So only, only can we stand firm having put on the, uh, the full armor of God. We obviously have to place our our faith, our trust in the Lord, and be a part of the Lord's assembly. Have a seat. So, in, in order to do so, we must prepare ourselves spiritually speaking. So, it says, stand firm, therefore having girded your loins uh, with the truth, protecting ourselves, gird up our loins. Our loins are one of the most uh, unprotected areas of our body, of course, people typically can guard that appropriately. Uh, to protect it. And typically they wear armor around their waist. Of course, they place armor and in historic times they place armor on their shoulders and of course particular spots but <clears throat> to cover and protect our bodies from harm. Today we use the same thing in, uh, with bulletproof vests or um, other types of uh, protective tactical gear the same thing here we're not girding ourselves up appropriately then we'll have have weakness there it's having put on the breastplate of righteousness spiritually being prepared to protect ourselves in this warfare that we experience that we can't uh, see, of course, again, it's not the powers of this world, 
we really have to work, uh, be concerned with, but it's the ones of spiritual nature that are we need to be protected against. He says there, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What do you mean there? Prepare to take the, the gospel. Be prepared to, to be prepared in the gospel. Also, being protected by our faith. So, we have the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, our loins girded up with the truth, being supported by the truth. Being prepared with the gospel, we're able to shield ourselves with our faith. We're protected, of course, by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice one of the last things he says with the sword of the Spirit, with the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation is the crowning achievement there of our garb. being prepared to do the Lord's work being prepared to fight spiritually speaking against the things of this world he goes on there he says with all prayer and petition pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view be on alert with all perseverance and petition of the saints So wait, we're, we're not only shod with this, but we have to pray too? Absolutely. Pray and being prepared for the difficulties that we face. These brethren here were aware that this was a very difficult thing. We know, of course, Ephesus where it was and received it out of worship and the things that they faced. Paul wanted them to be caught... Not caught unawares, but he wanted them to be aware of just what exactly the amount of preparations serving the Lord took. And in order for us to be protected as the Lord's people, we need to be physically and spiritually prepared. Spiritually is what he's talking about here more than anything. And it takes physical time for us to make that preparation. That was what Brother Paul wanted from these brethren here was for them to be aware He goes on there. He says, And pray on my behalf, and the utterances may be given unto, uh, uh, to me in the mouth, uh, opening of my mouth, to make known the boldness and mysteries of the gospel. He says, Okay, and as well as making this preparation, I'd like you to pray on my behalf. Why? Because Paul was, at this particular point in time, was in chains, of course, it mentions down there in verse 20, but he was held captive by the Roman government to give an account of these things. That he might persuade them, be able to communicate with them the things that the Lord had laid on his heart for him to do. The leaders of the known world at that time. We know in particular by the accounts of the scripture that there are even those in the uh, the guard 
uh, uh, for Caesar that were a part of the Lord's work as a result of Paul's teaching and preaching there. He goes on there after he's asking for them to pray that he might speak boldly. He says, but you may know that my circumstances I am doing. He says that I've sent Titus, who is a brother, faithful and a minister. And he'll make everything known to you. So he's going to send Titus to, to the church at Ephesus to minister to them, that he can share with them. Go sit down. Now. Take your, take your lantern. Go sit down. He says, and I have sent to you him for this very purpose so that you may uh, know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. He was sending Titus to them to, be, to, to encourage them and comfort them. And then he, of course, closes it out. Peace to you, brethren, with lo uh, and love with faith. For God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be to those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Not the love of the world, but that fond, fondness and affection, intimate knowledge of the Lord and service to Him. That was what Paul was sharing here with the letter, the church at Corinth. So, to the church at, the, at Ephesus, his concern was for them to be living acceptable to the Lord, that, of course, they recognized that they have been redeemed with the blood of Christ, that they had been given the opportunity to serve the Lord, that they might live, and that life only came through Christ. Because they've been brought near by the blood of Christ, of course. Sorry. Read your book. Read your book. You need to be, you need to sit still. So that was Brother Paul's goal here, was to continue to encourage the church here, even from a place of captivity, how they would walk and how they should follow after the Lord's uh, instruction and how the relationship of the church with Christ 
was set up by the Lord. How the relationship of family was like this. Children with parents. And then spiritual preparedness. Being prepared for service. That was the instruction from Brother Paul. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours and your ignorance. But like the Holy One who has called you, be yourselves also in your all behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address the Father... One who impartially judges according to each man's works, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were redeemed with perishable things. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of, uh, as of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was known before the foundation of the world and has appeared unto the last times for the sake of you who through him be believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope and your and are in God and since you have an obedience to the truth purified your hearts from a sincere love of the brethren fervent love one for another from the heart For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. So similar words there about girding your minds for action. Being aware, being on guard. This is hope there. Fix our earnest expectation. Completely on what? The favor brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It talks about being obedient children. Conformed into what? And to the likeness of the one who is our example. Consecrating ourselves for service to the Lord. Being spiritually prepared. It says he judges impartially according to each man's work and conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on the earth. That doesn't give us a free pass to do what we want to, but it tells us here that he will judge us impartially, so there won't be any bias there, but it'll be according to what we've done. Not just in our deeds, but our thoughts, our intents, or our lack thereof. By our faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is what it's talking about. Not with the things of the of the world which pass away, but of course the things which are not going to have 
faded away. This was made possible through Jesus' blood. So we are to be raised, of course. It says they're raised into likeness. Dead to our former, what? Our former selves. And the practices of sin that we lived in. Why? Raised in the likeness. Showing that our faith and our hope are in the Lord. He talks about here and them obeying the truth. And obeying the truth, they purified their souls because they loved the brotherhood. And they exercised it towards one another without prejudice, huh? That we were living uh, through the living and abiding word of God. He says, you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. So, Brother Paul wanted the church there, Ephesians, the church at Ephesus there, to be spiritually prepared and to understand what the relationship was and what the sacrifice the Lord had provided and the expectation of how we are to walk and to conduct ourselves by faith. That was the expectation there. So, let's consider these things as we go into our week. that we would conduct ourselves in a manner which befits the Lord's service. And think on the things which Paul wrote here to the church at Ephesus and how pertinent they are to our service today. That's all I have for you this evening. Thanks for your time and attention. and We'll move to dismissing a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the word that's been prepared for us, Lord, and we pray that we would apply these things to our, our service to you, Lord, and our hearts and our minds, that we would submit ourselves to you more willingly. Lord, we ask forgiveness of what we fall short of you each day. We ask that you be with our assembly and continue to help us to grow in, uh, spiritually in your word and that we encourage one another as we struggle in the flesh, Lord, that we would... Uh, submit ourselves to your ways. Lord, we ask that you would be with those of our number that will be traveling this week, that you would protect them and guide them, Lord, and impart uh, to them the wisdom that comes from you. Lord, we ask all these things in your Son's name and forgive us for we fall short of you today. Amen. All right. And then I got the phone recording too. So. <laughs> Well, we are studying 1 Timothy. I'm going to start back at the first chapter here, and we'll kind of go through here because there's an awful lot that Paul has said to Timothy. And when we translate 
what he said into English, I'm sure that there are nuances that we have lost. And I've looked at several translations and they all vary in here considerably. And I think the reason for that is they were unsure how to, how to present that in English. And whether it's in the King James English or whether it's in modern day English. But that translation is often a tricky thing to do for, for even experts. But how do, you, how do you say something? There are things that you just can't say in some languages. So this is Paul's charge to Timothy. And he, the whole letter is a charge to Timothy to tell you the truth. And uh, that is seen all throughout the book. The theme of this is to fight the good fight. And, and it defines, the, the book of Timothy defines that good fight and what it means. How, how we are to think of a good fight. You know, I, I come from Irish roots. My grandfather was a boxer and a policeman in Denver. And they, they enjoyed a good fight, you know? You know, even just boxing for the fun of it. But uh, th this has your antivirus thing come up here. And and it's giving me signals of some sort. It should be okay. Is, is that what that was yeah, making noise? Yeah, it's just a notice. All right. All right. Uh, Paul starts off giving his credentials as an apostle, one of those chosen by Jesus Christ for his service. Now he, in other places, he says, I'm an apostle out of due time, meaning that he didn't walk with Jesus, but Jesus chose him after the others were chosen. And so the apostle Paul knew he was an apostle because he had been struck down on the road to Damascus when he was Saul of Tarsus and out to undo the uh, the new upstart group known as the Way. And they were known as the Way at that time. They weren't known as Christians. They were the, the Way. But when he asked, Who art thou, Lord? He said, the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And and Paul realized that he was dealing with God at that point. The deity of Christ is one of the things that was refuted by uh, many of those in that day. And we'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, but Paul instructed and actually commanded Timothy concerning those who were teaching things uh, contrary to what 
God taught, or what Jesus taught, and what the Apostle Paul taught. And uh, the things that were being taught were uh, were taught by Jews, Jews primarily who were in the church but they had Greek influences and they come to be known as Hellenistic Jews Jews that had Greek influence on their thinking, the way that they thought, what their patterns were. And I won't go into all that the Gnostics believed, or, and to tell you the truth, they didn't always agree with amongst themselves. And so, but there are five basic things that the Gnostics believed, or that they taught. They were teaching these things, whether they believed them or not. But, the first one that they believed was that knowledge was superior to virtue, which is contrary to Christian doctrine. Virtue being doing good deeds, being right with the Lord, having a right attitude toward, towards the things of God. They said, Oh no, science is more important. What what we know, we know stuff that you don't know. It's it's kind of a, a we're better than you are type of attitude. And the second thing is that the scripture can be interpreted, or the, the things that are in scripture can be interpreted, but only by a few, only by those of us who have that knowledge. We're, we're better and so the, they considered themselves among the few that could teach others what, what God meant by what he said and the third thing that God could not be the only creator of the world because there is evil in it that was one of the things that they said I Personally, I see the evil being put there to test men. Men brought evil into it when they sinned against God and ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let, let me get through these five points here. And we'll, we'll come back and we can discuss these. Um, uh, the fourth one is they discredited the incarnation of Jesus being God in the flesh because they felt that deity cannot unite itself with anything material. So God can create material things but he can't inhabit material things is the way they saw it. And they said therefore God since there is evil in the world there had to be more than one God. There had to be other gods. That was their thinking. The fifth point uh, is that there is no resurrection of the flesh. That once one dies, they're dead. They denied Jesus having risen from the dead. 
So these are good, these are the points that, or the, the main points, that's, I'm sure that there were others. But these five points are the main points that the Apostle Paul warned Timothy about in, in these people. Andy, you had something there. God moved away. God has allowed many things in this world and he, he does allow them and we'll get into some of that with relation to the Christian walk how we as members of Christ's body are to perform how we are to act how we are to be uh, led by God's spirit rather than all these other spirits that are allowed to be there for our testing. And so the, the Gnostics had their own ideas and they were based on what they felt, what they thought, how their um, philosophers had taught them, but they were uh, caught off guard, so to speak, by Jesus, who came as the Son of God, living as a man, a perfect man, by the way. And this is something that they denied also, that he was perfect. And all of these things 
together are the things that they were teaching. And so let, let's go ahead and read these first uh, three verses here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior. Now, notice he calls God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, because it was through Jesus that God sent our salvation into the world in the form of Jesus Christ. Unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, I want you to have these gifts, grace, the grace of God, God's mercy, and the peace that only God can give. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That is no other doctrine than the truth of Jesus Christ. And that that had been revealed to Paul that Paul had taught throughout his missionary journeys. And the things that were given in letter from the church there at Jerusalem. And there were, up, there were people that were teaching other things, anything other than that is considered heresy. It's wrong. And the Apostle Paul warned, is warning Timothy here that this is going to be what you're up against. This is what you are to refute constantly. He says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. He says, this is what you need to be doing. Don't, don't pay attention to these fables. These, uh, now when they say fables, they're talking about Jewish fables of God's dealing with Israel and with human beings in miraculous ways God can do that but these uh, fables that they've built around it are stories they're not necessarily true but they're cute that's the way that's what it comes or they like to think of themselves as being cute and then there were endless genealogies oh my family goes back to to Abraham and on and they, they make up stories about their lineage, who they were, what they were, etc. Some of them knew. But just going over and over and over this endlessly, especially when others want to add how, what their family was doing, they get to arguing about that. It's... Uh, it, it appears to be a Jewish trait where they get to discussing something and then they start arguing about it and and they don't get anything done and that's what he's saying here is they uh, they talk about these things and it causes it 
to ministers' questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. If, if you consider to the just the history there and how they felt about being heirs of Abraham, absolutely, that they use that for kind of a, a sticking point or a, or a, sometimes a, a something to beat them up with. Right, well, we need other well, people. We're, up with. Well, we're, we're we're heirs of the seed of Abraham. We, you know, we God set this up for us a long time ago, and the point the Lord was trying to get out is that that doesn't matter. You your your heart and your desire, and you, if you've submitted to the Lord and what He has set up as His order and arrangement of things, then. That's what matters. Yes. It's not the lineage that you have because that, that's, that's not going to deliver you. That's not going to take care no. of you. No. No. Abraham did what God wanted and his faith was counted to him for righteousness. And they kind of overlooked that. That that was what made Abraham righteous. Should his children be any less? Should they not be doing the same thing that Abraham did. Well, and that's kind of the same thing he got the nation of Israel in trouble with the ark during the time they went to battle. And they're like, well, we've got the ark with us. So we're, we're good to go. Right. <laughs> we don't need what God. The he Lord showed what, they, what Lord, they said. Exactly. The Lord showed them yes. that, hey, just because you've got this thing that I've given you doesn't mean that I have said this is it. Right. <laughs> you you need to, to make your heart and your and your and your mind right with me as a people. And because of that, what did he do? He let the Philistines get a hold uh, get a hold of that oh, and, yes. and carry that ark away. And the ark was gone for years, for, for so many years, and the nation of Israel was subjected to some pretty harsh reality that, hey, <laughs> you know, you didn't put your your faith and your trust in me. Yes. to be in your presence you didn't listen to our counsel so I gave you over to what you what you what you thought you you wanted and guess what yes now, and this, now you understand <laughs> this this happened time and time again yes it did and it was where they had done wrong that God didn't fight their battles God says if you will do this I will do this but if you don't do it you're You've defeated yourself, and and that th that thought process is still prominent where he's writing here, and even today, that thought that that mentality that spirit is still is still manifest today in a lot of the Lord's people in because, human nature. In human nature, because <laughs> they're like, oh, I got this because I'm this, and yeah, that's I'm, it. <laughs> I'm a member of the church, therefore I, I I've got it, I've got it made. I'm my name is on the roll. That's all I need. No, that's not what God said. And we're, we're going to see this as we read on here. And so, um, let's see, where did I leave off? Uh, let's, let's read on down here. Uh, verse 5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity, of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Now, that King James English there, kind of, I, I find it awkward. 
But the Apostle Paul here, the the end, the the word end, that that doesn't mean that uh, the commandment comes to a stop. That means the intent, the purpose, the goal of this of, of is charity, love. Our intent is love, and that is the purpose for God's teaching. Like God, what was Jesus' main commandment? Love. He said, he, when the two greatest commandments were given, love God above all others and thy neighbor as thyself. That was the second. Those are the two. Both of them involve love. This is what Jesus came teaching. And it wasn't the law. It's not thou shalt and thou shalt not. That if you are doing what God wants, you're not going to be doing those things anyway. But the intent of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So you can't fake this. And and if your conscience doesn't doesn't bother you when you're doing those things, your conscience is seared. You've been doing that all along and you think you're right because you're doing things your way. And a, a pure heart. Only God can judge our hearts. We can't judge somebody else's heart. But God can. And God sees each of us. And then he goes on, he says, these three things, a, a conscience, faith unfeigned, and a pure heart, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Well, jangling, I can take bells and jangle them up here, and it'd be a noise, but it wouldn't edify anybody, it wouldn't teach you anything, wouldn't say anything. And so, Paul, he's, he goes on, he says, desiring to be teachers of the law, these, these uh, people who were trying to teach other people these things, they desired to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So they don't know the law, but they're trying to teach it to people. And here in Ephesus, where, where Timothy had been, and where he was left, he was running up against opposition, not only from the Jews, but from the Greeks that said they would listen to these other teachers and say, well, they've got some points that we, our philosophers have said already. And so there was a conflict here. And, but Paul says, that that's not our purpose. That's not our intent. Our intent is to teach love. And, and that by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And not in our own works. And, and that's another thing. The Gnostics were big on works. They, but it oftentimes meant giving money to a teacher. <laughs> Themselves being that teacher, by the way. And so they've, they've turned aside unto vain jangling, just to 
rattling, talking to hear themselves talk, desiring to be teachers of the law and understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So they're not, they don't understand the law itself and they don't understand those things that they're even telling, teaching. They don't understand where they end up. So Paul did not contradict the law. Rather, he said it was a good thing in that it restrained and corrected those whose deeds were evil. These were a, a blend of Greek and Jewish thought. So they, they put the Greek and the Jewish thought together and did what they wanted to do. Many of these people were not moral people. They were they wanted to be able to justify immorality. So these people were uh, seeking to do their own thing. Uh, verse, verse 9 goes on. It says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane and murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So he said, this is what the law is good for. It corrects these. There were severe penalties under the law, even to death for some of these things. For most of these things, as a matter of fact, for murder, kidnapping, uh, homosexuality, for uh, even for lying, false witness. That was one of the Ten Commandments. You don't do that. For perjured persons, I, maybe we ought to look at that in another translation and see what all these things are here. So, and here we go. Um, but. I'll start with verse 8. He said, But know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So it doesn't matter what this, the teaching is, if it's contrary to God, it's wrong. It's what he's saying. And it's pretty obvious. These are obvious things that are put down here. And I thought, well, you know, we have these people today 
the LGBTQ crowd, and they are saying, well, this isn't bad, we're, we're doing all right. Not according to the law. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 22 says, Thou shalt not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Can you get any clearer than that? That's homosexuality that he's talking about there. And he, you know, that's, that's only one of these things. But the, God is just as clear on each of these in the law. And these are lawless people that are practicing these things. So let's, let's go back here and, uh, and he says that these are wrong, all of these. Verse 11 says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So he says, not only are they wrong according to the law, but they're wrong according to what Jesus taught the Apostle Paul as well. And that is the blessed gospel that was committed to Paul's trust on the road to Damascus, or, or after, better yet, in, in Arabia when he was taught a better way. Verse 12 goes on, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So let's look at that um, from verse 11 to 14 there. Or let, let's start at 12 here. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into the service, into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Isn't that interesting? I, I think the reading of this in the New American Standard is probably makes it clearer to us than the King James was there, and uh, we we see these things in a different light when we hear it in our own language. So he says, "I I was the worst that there was," and and God got a hold of me and turned me around. And he had mercy on me and even used me in his service, which is uh, beyond reason to the Apostle Paul. He says, he could have just knocked me down and killed me right there on the spot. And that would have been the end of me. But he didn't. He had mercy on me. He even entrusted me with this gospel, the teaching, that, and sent me to the nations around Israel to 
to the world at large. And he said, I, he, even, he strengthened me because even though I had been injurious, even though I had been a persecutor of the church, Jesus turned me around and put me in his service, gave me that opportunity to serve rather than being destroyed. That's not much of a choice, is it really? The Apostle Paul said it was a glorious thing. He's glad to serve, glad to be turned from what he was to what God wants. Um, okay, verse 13. Even, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. This kind of faith and love, even in a sinner, God has faith in us. And he gives us a change of heart. And that's what the Apostle Paul had. He says his grace was, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are offered in Christ Jesus. That's what we experience when we are saved. That's what a, the Apostle Paul had when he was saved. All right, so he says, if, any, if I can be saved, God can save these others. He, Paul said this is an example of what God can do. And then in verse 15, he said, this is a trustworthy statement. They're deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. I am, I am the foremost of all. I am the one that is the worst one. And if God can save me, he can save anybody who will put their trust in him. Notice he gives uh, that statement that is worthy, a worthy statement deserving of full acceptance is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's John 3.17. It said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was Jesus' purpose in coming. That was his reason for being here. God sent him for that purpose, to save sinners. And Paul says, I'm the worst one of, of all of them. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might be dem might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. He said, God made me an example, used me, turned me around. He says, it was for this reason that I found mercy so that in me, as the firm foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might 
demonstrate his perfect patience, his perfect love, his mercy as an example for those who would believe on him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He says, God blessed my life by turning me around. Whip. Yeah. Paul felt the whiplash effect. <laughs> he got spun around so fast he wasn't sure where he was and at first and God said, you're right here and I've got a use for you. I've got a purpose for you. Okay, verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. There is what the, there's the charge of Paul to Timothy. He says, this, I, this commandment I entrust to you. He says, I was given that commandment on the road to Damascus, but now I'm leaving you here in Ephesus for you to teach these. This is going to be an uphill battle for you. If these people aren't going to accept this. You're fighting human nature. You're fighting entrenched uh, beliefs and ideas of the of the Greeks and of the Jews for that matter uh, but I want you to fight the good fight now a fight means that you're going to have conflict you're going to have things that won't go your way you're going to have trouble um, and then he goes on keeping faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So let's take a look at this. And uh, Timothy is admonished to fight the good fight. And that's that's the the intent of this letter and he says the circumstances of, of the ministry may not always be the best for from a human standpoint I, I'd like to turn to the book of Corinthians 2nd Corinthians and uh, let's see where did I put my bookmark in the wrong place. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe I didn't put a bookmark in there. Second Corinthians chapter four, and I will begin reading with verse seven. This is the Apostle Paul, and 
he says, these are the circumstances of Paul's ministry. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That means we're just human. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. He says, this is the intent. God is to be seen in us even though we are just a, a, a clay pot that has this treasure in it. We are afflicted on every, in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're pre persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now what does all that mean? It means we're going to have trouble. The Apostle Paul did. Jesus did in his life. Are we to expect something less than that? Are we to have just everything uh, just the way we want it? Uh, we have trouble adjusting to the weather. You know, it's too hot this day. It's too cold that day. It's too windy than another day. You know, all of these things are adversarial to our idea of what perfection might be. And we expect perfection in our life, right? But he says that that's not how the Christian life is. That if you're going to be in the ministry, if you're going to minister to others, you're going to have afflictions. You're going to have persecution even. You may be put to death. Jesus was. The Apostle Paul was beheaded, as we understand. So he's saying, Timothy, count on it. You're going to have trouble. These things are going to happen, but God will be with you through them. Not to take you out of them, but to allow you to be able to live in these circumstances. You know, when we say, oh, I'm, I'm under the circumstances, I've, I've got this and this and this and this, I've got all these things, I can't do what I ought to do. I've got too many things bothering me, too many things that are troubling me, and so I can't do what God wants me to do. Is, are these excuses? I think so. The Apostle Paul didn't take those excuses. He says, we're always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That is the purpose for those troubles. That is the purpose for the trouble we have in our lives. We say, oh, but my life is different. I, I have this problem and that problem and some other problem. Everybody has problems. But... Ours are given to us as Christians for a reason. So that God's, so that Jesus' love 
might be manifested in us as we respond to those circumstances. Um, Christ is seen because his spirit is manifested in our responses to the situation. How do, how do we respond? How was Timothy to respond? How did Paul respond or Jesus? Those, those who in the name of service bring reproach on that ministry destroy their own credibility and destroy any chance of being effective in God's service. Now that's a, that's, I put that sentence together. That's why I was reading it off my notes here. He talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander here. I said, those who in the name of service, that is service to Jesus Christ, they're not saying they're doing evil. <coughs> Pardon me. They're saying they're serving God with what they want. Not what God wants, but what they want. So those who in the name of service bring reproach on that ministry that they have been given destroy their own credibility and destroy any chance of being effective in God's service. They've become shipwrecked. They've been become debris on the, on the beach that has no value, that can't be used. They're destroyed because of their own desires to do their own will. Our victory is in Jesus living in us. Christ in you is your hope of glory. Living in each of us, not just in Paul and Jesus and Timothy and those back there. It's not just them who are Christians. We are to be Christians. That's what we profess. We need to be doing that. We do not win by the power of our own strength, but we win by Christ living in and through us. And that is where our light shines to the community. That's where it shines to those that we work with, to our own families, to our, to everyone, to the world in general. And that is the only way it shines. It's not through our doing our own thing or having everything the way we wanted. Are, are there comments on this? This is, this is what I had to present. And I, you know, it, it says that we're going to have trouble. It's all going, it's going to be there. What, each of us gets a different kind of trouble maybe. But some of it is just persecution by the world. Some of it is uh, our own weaknesses. But God can strengthen us in our weaknesses. Paul said, God maintained me, encouraged me 
in his service when he didn't destroy me when I was a sinner. But he brought me in to his service and gave me an opportunity to serve. And now I've got a responsibility to respond to that opportunity. And how I respond is how Christ is seen in my life and in yours. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He teaches this so that we learn to respond in love. Not reacting, not saying, but but I've got I've got a right to this, I've got a right to that. I, I should be better. I should be better than I am, to tell you the truth. But it's only through Christ that I can do that. And that is the point that the Apostle Paul is making. He says, sure, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have lots of it. But God can bring you through that. Like it said there in, in Corinthians, where we have these persecutions, but we're not defeated. We're, we're going to have these troubles, but God will provide for us if we respond the way he wants us to, not the way we want to, the way he wants us to. That is where we need to rely on God. I, I think the Apostle Paul made that very clear here. Any more, any comments on this? All right, then we'll take a short break and believe it or not, we're back on time again. It's 11. <laughs> well, wonders ever cease. <laughs>
Frozen water? It's like frozen. <laughs> you do not need that. You need liquid. You need liquid that's not frozen. <laughs> Is there any back there? That that, there might be one that's not frozen. I don't know. Church, I called them. Oh, we're just getting out of bed. <laughs> it was nine o'clock. <laughs> to get your. One step on Moby's house. Did you unload that here to burn or? Mm -hmm, to burn it. I've seen the trash cans. I think that was from the wind. Yeah, hit. 
it blew one of them out and I just put it back in and it's broke when I put it back in. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm here. <laughs> We're barely here. <laughs> Better late than never, I always yeah, say. Is Uncle Joe coming today? Or? They're supposed to be. I think Brother Tony said that they had to leave. They'll have to leave after lunch, but I mean, not to leave that lunch when we did it, but... Oh, I didn't bring lunch no, 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 today. No, we, we're not doing that yet. Um, I haven't talked to everybody. I haven't talked to Karen. I haven't talked to Karen and Dennis. I haven't talked to Patrick. Yeah. And if Patrick did sit and Karen and Dennis, you know, I said, we'll just wait. Well, I, I was had it already. I made a cake and yeah. got to make some chicken salad to make for dinner. I had chips. I'm just going to bring them for lunch today. <laughs> well. We'll do it next yeah. week or whenever. I mean, if y'all if y'all want to do it next week, oh, that's we, fine. We probably won't. You'll be gone. So, I think we'll have one more week in between then and the and the holiday. So we yeah. might just start again. I'll I'll try to talk maybe. to Karen and Dennis this week. Maybe with the holidays, it's uh, we not wait till. Well, what I was thinking is. It it will be a special time at Christmas and New Year's and that and we we. Might start those things then and just kind of keep on going. We might want to have that Christmas dinner before. I know Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, and I know a lot of people will have their Christmas falls on Sunday. But Monday, I think most people will observe Christmas. Monday is a business is observed Monday. Right. So. Yeah, we did do that. Yeah. <laughs> so when do you want to start? Good to see you. Good. Good. Good.